0: Well, church, our uh, message this evening is called Wise and Understanding. It comes to us from James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. And if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have a physical copy of God's Word in your hand, you're going to need it. So put your hand up high, all right? If you don't have a copy of God's Word, put it up high. The ushers are coming around. They'll give you a Bible. And here's the thing. If you have your Bible at home and you just forgot it, no judgment, okay? Bring it next time. It's fine. Use that Bible. If you don't have a copy of God's Word that you can be reading, that Bible is our gift to you. Please take it. Take it so you can take it home and be reading it daily so that you can be spending time in God's Word. You'll find uh, the text for our message today in that Bible. If you just took one from one of the ushers, it's on page 587, Okay. Page 587, it's in the top right corner of, the, of that page, okay, of the right page. It's right up there. It's the section that says 13 to 18, okay? That's where you're going to find it. So church, just as we've, we've prayed for wisdom, it's the right thing to do, right? We've prayed for wisdom and understanding. I, I pray that constantly. I'm constantly in need of wisdom and understanding from God. I, I want to ask you, like, have, have you ever prayed that? Have you prayed, like, God, give me wisdom. God, I need understanding in this situation. All right? Or God, I don't know what to do. I need wisdom that comes from you because I have no idea what I'm doing. How many of you ever called out to God for that? How many of you have cried out in desperation to God for that? Or in despair for wisdom? Maybe some of you are, are in that place right now where you don't know what to do. You don't know what to do in that situation or with the the lot that you've been handed. How do you steward that faithfully? Maybe you're in that place right now. When you ask for wisdom, what are you truly asking for? What does it mean to ask God for wisdom? To many, um, maybe you go to, or like, who do you even go to, right? Who do you go to to ask for wisdom? Who do you go to for that? To many of us, maybe it's someone you look up to as a mentor, right? Maybe a, um, a father or a mother or another maybe parental figure. Maybe that's who you go to for wisdom. Uh, hopefully someone who gives you wise advice. To others, it might be someone who seems to have the things that you want. Maybe that's who you go to for advice or go to for wisdom, Right? Someone who has what you want. They seem to have it kind of all figured out. Maybe they've got the lifestyle that you think you want. Maybe that's someone you go to for wisdom. Maybe you think of someone who's maybe like really smart. Right? When you think of who can I ask for wisdom? Maybe you think of some, somebody really smart who just like knows a lot of things. See, knowing a lot of things, it can be an asset for sure. Right? Obviously, I think we can all agree that knowing a lot of things can, can be an asset. But the real value, right? the real value in it is how to apply it. How to make it useful. You see, the definition of wisdom, the true de- biblical definition of wisdom, you'll see it on the screen here. It's knowledge rightly applied. So it's not just knowledge applied, right it needs to be rightly applied and in scripture that rightly that rightly applied is is applied in a way that glorifies god right in scripture it's it's how can i apply what i know to glorify god so when you're asking for wisdom church the first thing is god i want to glorify you so for the young people here we're going to talk about spies for a second if that works for you okay Sounds good? In the intelligence community, right, we have this, this knowledge, right? Knowledge is knowing things. Wisdom is, is rightly applying them, okay? In the intelligence community, the equivalent terms are information and then intelligence proper, okay? So this is what spies try and figure out. There's a lot of information maybe, but what does it actually mean, okay? Having a lot of information isn't actually necessarily helpful, right? Unless you can sort out the truth from the noise, it's not helpful. Unless you can sort out all the facts from the chatter, it isn't helpful. In fact, too much information, too much knowledge can actually be a problem. How do you delegate your resources? How do you delegate your resources to follow up on hundreds or thousands of bits of conversation? How do you delegate your resources to sift through data to get a picture of the facts? How do you sort through the speculation, people's opinion, how do you sort through propaganda to get to the truth and what ultimately is that truth? You see, the world is all too eager to tell us about truth. Right? The world says this. It says, go find your truth. Well, that might be true for you, but that's not true for me. It doesn't make any sense. If it's true, it's true. Right? The world says, go find your truth. Go get your dreams and seek your goals. You deserve to get what you want. All right, that's a huge lie. You deserve to get what you want, and definitely don't let anyone else get in your way. Social media, right? Nowadays, right, is is it's not just people talking to each other. Social media, it, it wants to tell you exactly how to cook, how to clean, how to organize your finances. There's tips on on how to parent your kids right? How to not offend anyone, how to dance, where to go on vacation, how to dress your cat for like a formal dinner outing, or, or maybe semi-formal, what even is semi-formal. There are thousands of people who professionally refer to themselves as influencers. That's, that's their job title. I just, I influence. I present a, a, an image for people to follow. Church, where are you getting your influence from? Scripture tells us a very different way. See, Scripture tells us the way. It tells us a very different desire and a goal and a prize that are eternal. And a truth that is truly the truth. You see, you and I face a problem with this. Every single day, we live unwisely. We don't apply knowledge rightly for the glory of God right? Every single day we live unwisely. We get distracted from the goal. We lose sight of the prize and the result. We'll get into this a lot further today, but look in your text right now. If you look at verse 14 to 16, we see, here's the result, okay? I'm, it's, it's a bit of a spoiler here, but it's okay. I hope you've read God's word before and you're aware of this. Here's, here's the result. The result of this, of living unwisely, is this. Jealousy, selfishness, Right? Selfish ambition, disorder, vile practices. This is the result. We see it increasingly in the world around us and in the culture around us. And sadly, we see it in our own lives as well, of course. So has anyone else struggled with that this week? Or is it just me? Struggled with like selfish ambition? Like I I really just want to do things my way instead of God's way. God's way is hard and my way seems easy. It's not. It's not. Right? It's not. Even if it is at the time, it's not in the long run. What about selfishness? What about boasting in something we think we accomplished? It's something that we think we did instead of giving God the glory. Here's the encouragement, though. For those of us in Christ Jesus, Like, it doesn't need to be this way, okay? It doesn't need to be this way at all. But here's what we need to understand. This is going to be the big idea for today. You're going to see it on the screen. The big idea from this text, if you you get nothing else, get from this text here today this, that because wisdom only comes from God, to walk in wisdom, to live out, to live wisely, to walk in wisdom, you must humble yourself under his word. Wisdom only comes from God. To walk wisely you must humble yourself under the truth of his word. Church, let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. And would you read along with me? James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder, every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and take your seat. So we read here in our word. You don't have to take my word for it. We read here in the the word of God this. Who is wise and understanding among you? In verse 13 here, that's, that's rhetorical. Who is wise and understanding among you? You're not God, and so you don't have perfect wisdom. None of us are. None of us know what to do. Without God, we're lost. So these terms here, wise and understanding, we've used them a lot. We've thrown them around here already. Let's get some, let's get some understanding on what those words mean. See, wise in Scripture, the word, the Greek word that's used in Scripture here, it means, you'll see it on the screen, it means, uh, it, it's, it's literally the Greek word is Sophia. So Sophia is that word. So if I was like, hey, are you wise? I would ask, hey, are you Sophia? Right? That's where we get the name from. It's literally the Greek word for wise or wisdom. Okay? It refers here to a capacity of the mind. Ultimately created and given by God. Okay? Our minds are created by God. God said, let us create men and women in our image. Right? So it's a capacity like God. God reasons perfectly. But we were created with minds that can reason, right? We can reason things out. So it's a capacity of the mind that is God-given, but not necessarily being used to glorify God, okay? Whereas on the other side, we see who is wise and understanding among you. Let's look on the screen here. We'll see understanding. The Greek word there is epistemon, Okay? It's epistemon. And I'm glad that Ray isn't here right now uh, because he actually knows Greek and he would correct me on my pronunciation of that. It's probably epistemon, but, but hey, I'm, don't judge me on that. Epistemon is the word for understanding there. It's where we actually get the word epistle, right? So the books like Romans, Col- Corinthians, Colossians, those, those are epistles or a letter of instruction from God through an apostle To the church. Okay? It's the same spot we get that word. And it refers here to to specifically a God-given perception of meaning resulting always in this sound judgment, discerning spiritual truth. Okay? So wisdom, a capacity of the mind to reason, right? And in this text, understanding is God-given Perception, okay? God given. And you'll see James here in this text starts referring to wisdom from above as that God-given perception. Okay? A little context on the book of James. This this book is a, an epistle to a church. But it's also written in the style, the format of wisdom literature, like Proverbs, where it's just little chunks of, here's what happens when you don't follow God, here's what happens when you do. This is how to honor God. This is how to glorify him. This is how to seek him, okay? So, wise and understanding. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works. You see, good conduct is a life that is lived rightly before God. In the context of here, we we're talking about context. In the previous verses, James is warning teachers. Okay? He's warning teachers um, about taming their tongue, about their character, right speech, integrity. But it applies to all Christians, especially in the greater context of the book of James. Right? The greater context of the book of James is this. Christians living in an age of so much confusion and deception that was, that was starting to seep into the church as it was being established. So deception, like, that, doesn't, that should sound familiar to us, right? There's nothing new. Deception is nothing new. The first century church was facing it. We face it. But God has given us his word and the Holy Spirit to handle it. Okay, that is good news That is good news. So here it is. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So when you hear the word meek, a lot of us are tempted or prone to think weak. It rhymes, but it's not synonymous, okay? Meekness is not weakness, right? Weakness is having no power or ability to do anything. Meekness, which Jesus Christ exemplified perfectly, having all power and authority... Right? Meekness means power under control. okay? and and I think we can agree that it seems reasonable to be meek. We've seen the perfect example of Jesus, but but in our day and age now, and especially in the in this day, right that Greek culture considered meekness, weakness to be synonymous, okay? It was considered synonymous. The culture of the day, and see if this sounds familiar to anything you see uh, in, in our world today, the culture was to boast about your accomplishments, to embellish on your achievements. If you've done something, you, go, you always got to take that and times it by like one and a quarter when you're telling the story, okay? When you're telling the story over and over again, you also have to increase it by like 2% each time you tell the story, okay? Okay? That was the culture of the day. The culture of the day was to boast and embellish so much so that actually, uh, extra biblical texts—not scripture, but other texts that we use to try and gain history from the day—it's actually really hard to like getting gain an accurate picture of history because everything is so embellished, right? Every achievement is so like it, it's always it's always two or three more, right? There's there's a a common like, joke that like never tell a, a story about getting two wisdom teeth out at the dinner table, right? Because someone else, if, if you're at a dinner party, someone else always has a four wisdom tooth extraction story, right? And that not only was it four wisdom teeth at once, but they were all impacted and they were all over the place. Get, right? Like you're always going to be one up. Don't tell a two wisdom tooth story, right? That was the culture of the day. But you see, Jesus elevated this to a core Christian Value, meekness, power under control. You see, the way of God is not the way of the world. Often, it's exactly the opposite. The world says, make sure everyone knows how great you are. And scripture tells us, look how good our God is. And look what he saved me from. You see, if you're to walk in wisdom, this is the first thing you need to believe. If you're to walk in wisdom, we'll see this from verses 14 and 16, you must believe that number one, worldly wisdom produces rotten fruit. Fruit in scripture is, is a, common, a common metaphor, a common illustration to describe the result right? The result of a tree growing tall and strong, the result of it having the right nutrition is that it bears fruit. That's the good result, okay? So fruit here just means result. Worldly wisdom produces rotten fruit. And the question I have for you is this. The wisdom of the world is opposed to the wisdom of God. We've established that. So what wisdom are you following? And we're all in church here right now, so of course our answer is, oh, I'm following God's wisdom all the time. And I truly tell you I wish that were true, but it's not for me. It's not. I'm sure it hasn't even been true just today alone. What wisdom are you following? Let's read verses 14 to 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. What wisdom are you following and what fruit is your life producing? See, we see here in verse 14, don't take my word for it, the scripture is clear. If you have bitter jealousy, that's, Anger, that's resentful coveting. Right? If you're bitter, and resentful, and coveting what others have, bitter jealousy or selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is opposed to the fear of the Lord. Right? We see that in Proverbs 1:7. Where do we get the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where we get wisdom. Right? In the fear of the Lord, recognizing who he is and then revering him as holy. You see, what do we see it causes? Selfish ambition, trying for our own way, for our own satisfaction, our own comfort, when we put our preferences ahead of God's priorities, it causes what? It causes disunity. It causes division. It causes division and disunity in the church. It causes division in family. It most certainly causes division in culture. Selfish ambition, we see our culture is increasingly divided. Our culture is increasingly being wedged that you, you must be black and white on this issue. And if you are on team left of this issue, that means you must believe our, our dogma on this, 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 this other issue as well. Our culture is so divided and the prevalence of easy communication about it has made it so that, so that we're even more divisible. We're even more able to be polarized by people. Selfish ambition leads to division in culture, in marriage, and other important relationships. And look, if it's happening in the church, if you're, seeing, if you're seeing division happening in the church, it's not just because some topic came into the church. A topic can't walk through that door, right? An opinion can't come in that door and walk right in here and take a seat. If it happens in the church, the first place it happened was in your heart. That's where it happened first. Now, if unity comes into the church, right, unity has a name and it's the Holy Spirit. It can come and take a seat. And I pray that in all of the hearts here, the Holy Spirit is not only taking a seat, but that the Holy Spirit has put Jesus Christ on the throne of your heart. Right? Where there's selfish ambition, there will be division. But where there's the Holy Spirit, where our hearts are seeking to glorify Christ, the Holy Spirit promises to only ever work for unity. If you're seeking your way, or if you're even seeking something that might be good, but you're doing it in your own strength, you're trying in your own power to make it good, it's gonna divide because it isn't ultimately the truth and it isn't God glorifying. The Holy Spirit works for the unity of the church. When we seek God, there is only unity at the end of that. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes from above. It's not the wisdom from above. What is it? Well, we talked about it. That that other definition of wisdom, right? That it can be used, but not necessarily for God's glory. It's not God glorifying discernment and judgment. So if it's not from God, where is it from? Let's read on in verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly. That means worldly. Unspiritual. That means not of the Holy Spirit that discerns truth in our hearts. Where is it? Let's see. Well, it's earthly. Okay. It's unspiritual. That makes sense. It's demonic. Do we really, do we look at selfishness as demonic? Do we look at, um, at, at boasting or bitterness as being demonic? You see, when we, when we pursue our way, when we selfishly in our selfish ambition, when we presume, pursue our way, what we're saying is, God, I've got this figured out better than you. When we do that, we, the creature, the created by God, we seek to elevate the creation above the creator. That's what we seek to do. Where did the original sin come from? The original sin came from, I've got this figured out. I don't trust God. I want my own way. And sin entered the world. Selfish ambition is demonic. I, I don't know if you think about it that way, but please do guard your hearts against it. You see in this, we seek to elevate ourselves above God who created us and sustains us, who is sustaining our very breath right now. And we think we know better than the one who is giving me the vibrations in my throat to make noise. And not only that, because noise is what it is, He's redeeming my noise for his glory through his word. You see, in the Garden of Eden, the devil acted wise in a worldly sense. Right? In his application of knowledge. right? He, he, he applied knowledge to deceive Adam and Eve. He knew God's words. Right? He knew God's words. He knew God's instructions. Trust me. The, 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 biggest, the biggest thing you can do is either overestimate or underestimate Satan's power, right? You can underestimate it too. Is he all-knowing? Absolutely not in any way. Does he know some? Yes. And he's had a very long time to know it. He knows God's word better than I do, right? He knows God's word. And so he acted wise in a worldly sense. He knew God's words and his instructions and he knew what temptation to push, right? Not calling calling disobeying God a direct rebellion, which it actually was, but enticing with what? Enticing just the way every sin entices us. Enticing with a false promise. What was the false promise that Adam and Eve were tempted with? Being like God, Okay, so here's the promise you'll be like God. All right? Well, there's there's the truth of Scripture that stands in the gap, and over here we have the truth. Are we like God? Yeah, exactly as He intended us to be, no more, no less. We were created in the image of God. This is the lie. Oh, you'll be like God. God created us in His image. Right? More special than any of uh, any other of creation, to be exactly as much like Him as He intended, no more, no less. God is perfectly wise; we can still reason. God is perfect love; we're still capable of some love. Right? God is perfectly gentle; we are called to be gentle. We have a capacity. So the deception is you'll be like God. The truth is God created me to be exactly the way I am. You see, his tactics haven't changed. He still works to sow division in the world. And even more subtly and deceitfully, he works to sow division in the church. Dividing us over preferences that, that, that scripture is not making a priority. Our personal preferences. How many churches are, are divided from other churches or even divided in and of themselves on preference alone? Preference alone that has nothing to do with the priorities of God. What about worldly culture and compromise and convictions? We need to be more relevant to the world We need to look more like the world. Or, you know, that was then, but we've got it figured out better and we know more now. And so we really need to get with this worldly culture. We need none of the culture of the world in the church. The culture of the world is desperate for the culture of the church that we're called to. The the culture of the world is desperate desperate for the unity of the Holy Spirit because the culture of the world is dividing and dividing and dividing and dividing faster than cells go through mitosis. The culture of the world is so divided. We need none of it in the church. What we need is wisdom from God. What we need is wisdom from God's word. You see, worldly wisdom, it's called that, but it's actually evil deception. It's, it's a distraction from the truth of our dependence on God. It's that selfish ambition again, right? My way, instead of recognizing that in taking the step to go my way, the, the, all of the motor neurons firing to get me to go this way, Jesus Christ is holding it in his hand and enabling it right now. I am utterly and completely dependent on God for everything You see, as Adam and Eve very quickly discovered, as we know very well from trying on our own, it is impossible to live the Christian life, which is the only way we can be fulfilled. It's impossible to live it on our own strength. It's impossible to live it in our own wisdom. See, worldly wisdom is measured by how it benefits me. Right? How it benefits me. Even if it's for someone else, it's still how does doing this for someone else benefit me, You see, it's based on how it benefits me instead of the truth of how does it glorify God. Because you see, worldly wisdom has a limited and finite perspective. It doesn't look in the light of eternity. Worldly wisdom doesn't look in the light of eternity and the result of that fruit is obvious. It's rotten. Look at the text. Verse 16 for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there it is again, there will be, right? Scripture makes a guarantee. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be, right? Without God, there is no good, there will be disorder, which is disunity, division, fighting, animosity, bitterness, hatred, prejudice. There will be disorder and every vile practice that is worthless evil, rotten fruit. We read a warning against this in Ephesians 5, 15 to 16. It says, look carefully then how you walk. So you need to be intentional how you walk, how you live, how you act, right? Don't don't be distracted. Be intentional. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The day itself is ordained by God. What it means here is that the days are full of evil distractions. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. See, worldly wisdom in selfish ambition, it always, always overpromises to us right that sin that temptation it's going to feel good right it's going to feel really good when i do this it always overpromises and it always underdelivers the reason it underdelivers is because it promises worldly success worldly success which at best is temporary and never satisfies because our hearts our hearts were created for much more you see the appetite of our heart the desire and the only thing that will satisfy our heart the desire of our heart is for eternity and it's an appetite that rotten fruit can never satisfy we need good fruit that can only come from one place so let me ask you again what wisdom are you following what influence are you following what influence are you allowing into your head that you're giving it space that you're letting it set up a desk instead of Seeking wisdom from above and from God? What about in the priorities you keep? What wisdom are you following in the priorities that you keep? How about how you spend your time, allocate your time? How much time are you spending in God's Word? What wisdom are you following? In, in dating relationships? What wisdom are you following in marriage? What wisdom are you following in parenting? What about in stewarding finances and, and the, the blessings in gen- general that God has entrusted you with? See, we need to come back to this again right here from God's word. Worldly wisdom will always produce rotten fruit. Right? No matter how shiny we make it and try and polish it, Okay? No matter how much we try and shine it up, it doesn't matter. My, my mother and father are visiting. My mom went to peel an apple and discovered that despite the, the good look of the skin, right? this is a, an hour ago, despite the good look of the skin inside, it had already gone bad. You can't just look at it, you need to discern. It doesn't matter how shiny you make it, how good you try and make it taste. Maybe if I, if I just add a little bit more cinnamon, or, or for, you know, a better reference, if I just add a little bit more garlic, because garlic is something you do with your heart. You don't follow a recipe with that. If I just add a bit more, maybe it'll taste good enough. Listen, trust me, putting, just putting more garlic on, on rotten garbage is not going to make it good fruit. Okay? It doesn't matter how much you try and cover it up. It doesn't make good fruit. But there is hope. You see, here's the good news. We can walk in true wisdom. But to do that, here's the essential thing. Right? Because wisdom only comes from God. To walk in wisdom, you must humble yourself under his word. And so to do that, to walk in wisdom and to produce good fruit, you must believe. Number two, our final point for the day. Godly wisdom produces good fruit. You see, the wisdom of God will always produce the fruit of God. What fruit am I showing in my life? The wisdom of God will always produce the fruit of God. The fruit of God is always good, it is always unifying, it is always God glorifying. So, what fruit am I showing? Ask yourself that. When you're you're saying, okay, I'm going to sit down to to work on my budget. I'm going to sit down to figure out how I'm going to parent my children this year. How I'm going to try and improve in this and that. What fruit are you truly showing? Let's read verse 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. Look at this. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You see the wisdom from above, right, from God, the wisdom from God, from the Holy Spirit within those who believe in Jesus. Right? If we believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, we have the Holy Spirit within us. The wisdom that is from above is what's ta- spoken about here and this term all right wisdom from above is an accurate translation the word is is above or on high but in context the meaning of it if you were to look at the saying is it was a saying right and it actually what it means wisdom from above means wisdom from the beginning or wisdom from before time well god is before time God is in the beginning before all of creation. Wisdom from above is wisdom from God. And what is it? The wisdom from above is first this, pure. It's holy. It's from the right motivation, which is to glorify God, not me. And it's the first essential quality here. It's pure. It's the first essential quality. It drives all others we're about to see here. It's pure. It's peaceable, seeking unity. It's gentle, which means compassionate. It's open to reason. This is one of the qualities of love. Being open to reason, this does not mean being open to compromise. It does not mean open to outside ideas. Open to reason is one of the qualities of love we see in 1 Corinthians 13. It means we don't insist on our own way, but we're open to God's perfect way. As the Holy Spirit grows us, molds, convicts us, and makes us more into the image of Christ. It means we don't insist on our way. This open to reason means we don't say, I know better and I've got it figured out. It means, well, God knows and God has it figured out. And so I'm open to seeking God. Doesn't mean, well, I'm open to hearing out these these ideas that you want to bring in to the church or into my heart. No, it means I'm open to being wrong. I'm open to being corrected because I want to be correct. Which always brings unity from the Holy Spirit. See, we read on, pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy. This is one of the most essential qualities of God that we see, right? God is full of mercy. He is, he is the fullness of mercy. He is full of grace for us. He patiently extends it to us again and again and again and again. Not excusing sin. We are not called to excuse sin. But giving grace for us to repent of it. To be forgiven for it. You see, we're also called not to excuse sin in one another, but to confront it with mercy as the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom to discern the needs of the situation. That's what we're called to, speaking the truth in love. Never compromising love and never compromising truth. Right? But look how God deals with us. He is so gracious. There are certainly things that require a firm and stern rebuke that's heavy on the truth, and it is loving by nature of being heavy on the truth. It's loving, right? If someone's running and they don't see that there's a cliff in front of them, yelling at them very sternly and firmly is loving, right? There's no time. If someone's just having a difficult time and you see where it goes, if they're insistent in their sin, of course, maybe it requires to be very firm, but often it requires, I love you too much to let you sit in, in this sin and not knowing where it leads. So discerning, being full of mercy, discerning the needs of the, whole, of, of the situation by the power that the Holy Spirit gives. And it only comes from seeking God first. We read on in verse 17, look at the text. It says this, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Those good, good fruits, we've spoken at length about it, right? Good fruits are godly results. Impartial and sincere, it means not showing prejudice or partiality, right? Not par- no partiality in the church towards race, towards economic status, towards gender, towards any way that the world has found to divide us. And it also, what it also means, this impartial and sincere, it means not excusing our friends while then harshly judging others. Not being in a situation where we excuse ourselves, but then harshly judge others for the same thing. It especially means we don't judge others more harshly that we have disunity with. It means without pretense. It means without any hypocrisy. We're to be impartial and sincere. And friends, here's the joyful result. The final verse culminates in this is what the result is. The good fruits lead to this. Verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See that harvest of righteousness there? That is a life growing in Christ-likeness, exuding the fruit of the Spirit that James has walked us through, growing in love, in joy, peace, growing in patience, in kindness. That's the mercy and gentleness in self-control. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace. This is where it leads. You see, you have to plant the seed before it grows. In your own life, Right, in your own life, planting seeds of righteousness, being in God's word, right? And in others' lives, right? In others' lives, sharing the good news of the gospel, first and foremost, that God would take their heart, take their soul, cause them to believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. That is the, the greatest fruit of the gospel is salvation in Jesus Christ. But then feeding, discipling, discipling your own heart and soul, discipling others to grow. To grow in righteousness. See, this is where it leads. You have to plant the seed before it grows. You have to care for it. You have to nurture it in order to harvest it, right? And you do it over and over and over again, right? There's no, no farmer looks at a hundred acre field that he's worked and tilled, that he's fertilized, that he's turned, that he's, you know, given crop rest to. He never, he doesn't look at it. He doesn't go right there in the middle. I'm gonna plant this seed of corn. And watches it grow into a single stalk and says, ah, that's going to be a good single stalk of corn. Right? Like, no farmer does that. We're to be diligently harvesting righteousness, right? No, the, the farmer works diligently until the hard work of planting is done. Right? He doesn't stop simply because the sun goes down. Modern tractors have headlights on them. You can keep going through the night. Modern tractors have GPS on them to plant the rows nice and straight for you. He works and works and works. Modern tractors are more, uh, they, there's more t- technology in them than a rocket ship. They, they work diligently until the hard work of planting is done. And listen, if you're not dead, your work of planting is not done because that's what God has called us to do. And how is it sown We see that a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace. Sowing the word of God in peace. In peace here means total spiritual well-being and security that comes from abiding in God's presence among his people. You see, if you're not abiding in God's word, you won't have peace. There's no peace apart from God. There's only disunity and struggle. You will not have peace if you are not abiding. That word abide there, it means this. It means to remain in a fixed position. Okay, that's a good definition. What does it mean for us? It means this, remaining with Christ. Spending time in God's word. Spending time in prayer. The purpose of prayer is this. The purpose of prayer is to declare our dependence on God and to know him more. So as we declare our dependence on God, we're aware of how good he is and how much we need him. And so we know him more. We're we're more aware of our dependence on him. You will not have peace if you are not spending time in God's word, spending time in prayer, and then growing in obedience that it requires. It's sown in peace by who? By those who make peace. You see, we are called as a church to be peacemakers in a world of anxiety. Not at the expense of truth, not at the compromise of the truth, but in peace from wisely speaking the truth in love. A world that is growingly opposed to the Word of God desperately needs it, and we have no need to fear their reaction to the word of God. We have no need to fear their reaction to us as we share the word of God because we have the peace of Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have his peace. Why would you be anxious? Why would you be anxious of sowing life-saving truth to a world that is so anxious it doesn't even know how to define itself? This world is Desperate for truth. Yes, and sometimes when you, when you go to help someone do something, yes, sometimes they kick back. Right? If you go and administer naloxone to someone who's overdosing, they're going to be really mad at you for ruining their high because they don't realize they were almost dead. Yeah, they're going to probably lash out at you. This is life-giving. Why would you be afraid of the result when the result is life in a dying world. See, we don't get this peace from our own ambition. We get it from abiding in Christ. We don't get wisdom by insisting on our own way. We gain understanding. That's that, that specific discernment from God. We gain understanding by first humbling ourselves under the truth of God's Word. We see this so clearly. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit in John 14, 27, where the Holy Spirit is promised. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace. This is Jesus talking, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, right? Not not the world's wisdom that can never bring peace. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. And here's the promise. Here's the encouragement. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. This is the peace that comes from God. See, this is the wisdom. This is the understanding. This is that peace that is from God above, wisdom from above, from faith in Jesus Christ, promised to all who believe in him. And now, if you're here and you agree with me, that's good. That's a first step. But you're also probably saying this is really hard. It's really hard to live on all the time. Saying, I'm tempted to this, and the world is telling me this, but I know this, and I'm going to do it. It is hard, but be encouraged. You see, Jesus Christ fulfilled these commands perfectly for you. To abide in God and walk in wisdom perfectly. And he himself is the wisdom of God. He is God incarnate. Right, God came to earth, becoming fully God and then fully man. His very words are the wisdom of God because he is God. And so scripture, we have the wisdom of God right here. So be encouraged. You might say it's hard, but Jesus fulfilled it perfectly for you. We see his wisdom all throughout the gospel recounting of his life. He is the source of wisdom the source of peace, and he is freely available to all who would seek him. Now church, some of you might be here right now and you've never had this peace. You've never had this peace. You've never surrendered to Jesus as your only hope for salvation. Your only hope for eternity. If that's you, first, I am so glad you're here. This church is so glad that you're here. You're not here by mistake. You're not here by accident. We talked about it. God is sovereign. He's in control. The reason you're here is because God has you here and he loves you. You see, the life of good fruit through salvation in Jesus Christ is freely available to all who believe in him. Believe this, that he is the son of God. He came to earth as fully God, fully man. He lived a sinless life not deserving death, but taking death to take on the penalty for my sin, for your sin. He was raised three days later to life, conquering, defeating the power of sin and death for you. If you believe in him, if you put your trust in him saying, God, I can't do this. I need you. And if that's you, talk to the person who brought you here. Talk to someone nearby. This church would love to talk to you. Come after the service. I'll be up front. I would love to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and to have life in his name, to have all this peace, this wisdom that we've spoken about. I would love to talk to you after the service. And for the believer, what fruit are you showing? Really take a second. What fruit are you showing in each area of your life, where do you need to humble yourself in the truth? Where, what areas do you need to repent and turn from your selfish ambition where you've been putting your position over a posture of humility before God? That's the same question I extend to myself. What, what areas do I need to take stock of my life and my time and my thoughts? And where do they need to be surrendered to God? You see, true wisdom that produces good fruit, pleasing fruit to our holy God, which is the only way our hearts will be satisfied. Good, the, the true wisdom that produces this pleasing fruit to our holy God, it is from above. This is the promised church. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Let's pray. Lord, you have shown us so clearly in your word That worldly wisdom produces rotten fruit. Rotten fruit that always promises us the world. But you have overcome the world, Jesus. This world has nothing to offer us that compares, Lord, to the surpassing joy. The joy that it is to know you. Lord, you are the source of true wisdom. And the understanding that you give us produces good fruit. It produces pure and holy fruit that is pleasing to you as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and refines us and grows us in obedience to you. Thank you, Lord, that you freely give peace to all of those who trust in you. Lord, I pray that this week as we go from here, we would look to you, we would surrender to you, that you would reveal areas in my heart this week in all of our hearts this week where we need to repent of selfishly putting our preferences above your priorities, Lord. I pray that you would grow us more and more like you. Lord, for our delight in you because you are being glorified in our lives. Lord, wisdom only comes from you. I pray that this week we would grow in walking in wisdom as we humble ourselves under your word and as we seek you and spend time in prayer with you and grow in joy and delight in our relationship with you. Lord, I pray this in your name, amen.